Welcome to Move the District, where you can find the best ways to stay healthy, stay moving, and stay informed in Washington, D.C. Now, more than ever, we have a wealth of information and opportunities to live the high-performance, pain-free life that we want. My name is Dr. Mike Yasson, and my goal is to show you the backstories behind the individuals and businesses that provide these opportunities for everyone, no matter who you are. Now, let's move. Move the District is sponsored by Big Leap Performance and Rehab. At Big Leap Performance and Rehab, we help active adults stay that way, pain-free and active during the sports and activities that they love for life. We do this by working on four different areas. That's movement, nutrition, stress management, and sleep. When we optimize these four areas, you feel better, you move better, and you live better. Head to BigLeapPerformanceAndRehab.com to see how we can help you stay active for life. All right. Welcome back to another episode of Move the District, episode 48, one step closer to the big 5-0. Today, I got a, another awesome guest with us today. Uh, please welcome the owner of two metabolic franchises here in the DMV area, one in Clarendon, Virginia, and the other on H Street in Washington, D.C., little bit of both sides of the river here. Please welcome Corbin Jennings. Corbin, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Mike. I appreciate you having me on and it's a pleasure and congrats on getting so close to 50. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm excited. I, it's, I feel like I talk about this all the time. Like I was like, oh, I'll do like a couple of these podcasts. And like, I bought this microphone to like hold myself accountable. And then uh, I was like, I was like, oh, instead of like three episodes, I'll do like eight episodes. And now it's like slowly morphed into like 48 episodes. So, uh, pretty cool, but, uh, but yeah, so we'll, I mean, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how yeah. much longer. <laughs> I'm sure it's time consuming, but I think that would be a super fun thing. Like shark tank is one of my favorite things to watch. You're kind of doing the audio version of that, getting to hear the stories of how entrepreneurs started. So I think it's a fun topic. Yeah. And I just need, uh, I just need the money to be able to like invest in everybody. That would be perfect. Yeah, exactly. Yes. <laughs> I just need like Mark Cuban to invest in me so then I can invest in you. Perfect. Exactly. We'll go pitch them. Exactly. I love it. Exactly. <laughs> DC fitness shark tank. Love yeah. it. Um, so let's talk a little bit about your background. Uh, how did you get involved in fitness in the first place? Um, so I'll give the kind of short version of this and you can tell me what all you want me to elaborate on, but uh, worked <laughs> in corporate America for probably five or so years after college. Uh, my last job before this was at Under Armour, working a gazillion hours a week, doing stuff that I didn't really enjoy. So got burned out on that. Um, wanted to kind of start my own thing. Wasn't positive what I wanted to do. And my girlfriend at the time, who's now my fiance, she jokingly said, well, to move up to Baltimore or somewhere around there, maybe I should just franchise this gym that I go to in Charlotte. Um, and not much more was said after that. And then about two months later, I was completely burned out on my job. And I was like, well, maybe I should go do this. So went to um, a few of the classes down there, thought they were on to something, asked them about franchising back then. They had only had a few others open. It was kind of the wild west. They were like, you have interest. Great. Here's some, um, disclosure documents go open have fun um so that's it, it. Took, <laughs> it was i mean it was the wild west in the beginning there was no checking your financials uh basically what market do you want 
cool. Here's your protected radius. Um, wow. Go find a spot. Um, so that was interesting. I mean, obviously, I know nothing about construction, nothing about commercial real estate, nothing about running a gym. I mean, they provide a lot for you, the programming of the workout, stuff like that. But um, like with most entrepreneurs, I'm sure you just kind of learn as you go. Yep. Um, so, yeah, we spent probably the next two years, I would say, trying to find a space. We had three lease negotiations fall through. Um, finally, we were touring a space down in Roslyn that was going to be too expensive. Um, the agent that we were with says, well, that's too bad. Would you want to, by chance, go tour a basement space in Clarendon? And I was like, would love to. That sounds great because I'm sure that's way cheaper than everything else I've been looking at. Um, anyways, went and toured it. There's really not much else the landlord was going to be able to do with it. So um, things progressed very quickly from there. We probably went from lease negotiations to open in like five to six months. So that was quick. And that was Mad Arlington, which we started in September of 2016. Wow. And then at what point did you then open up on H Street? H Street, we were like Q3 of 2019. So we were about six months-ish before COVID hit. Gotcha. So, yeah, perfect timing on my per- part. I mean, couldn't, well, honestly, <laughs> couldn't, have asked, couldn't have asked for better timing. Yeah. Now, it, I, I'm always interested in the franchise model because, I mean, I think it's starting to become more and more popular between Metabolic, Orange Theory, F45. Um, you know, that whole process of, like, picking, like, you know, in terms of, like, you know, putting your touch on it, but then also, obviously, you have a, a model that you need to, to follow. How do, how do you balance those two things? Is um, there definitely is a balance and I think it depends on kind of what you're looking for. Um, I again had never owned a business. I had never been in the fitness industry. So my lack of knowledge, I think it would have taken me a long time to figure out what they had already figure out, figured out. Um, and I think it just drastically expedited my learning curve. Um, so that's the nice part. They do all the programming for you. They do the website design. They've gotten better since I first opened with a lot of their marketing and things like that. So there's a lot of stuff that's done for you um, as well as you do have a little bit of a brand. Now they weren't a huge national brand at the time, like an F45 or orange theory. So I didn't necessarily have that brand recognition, but there was a part of the business that was already figured out for me. um, That was really good. Now someone else who has been in the fitness industry for 20 years might already know exactly how they want to run a location and opening up a franchise just might not be the right thing for them. And then you've also got the um, kind of big time investor who's got enough money. They want to go open up five locations. Franchising is probably the way to go for them. Now, how does it work when you, when you open a franchise? Like I know you're saying it was the Wild West, like you'd have to show financial statements, anything like that. I mean, was there any sort of like, hey, this guy's going to be okay. He's not just going to, you know, fuck everything up. <laughs> Uh, with them at the time, no, not really. And I don't know if maybe I carried no myself interview. a little there bit. There was no interview, better, like make there sure was about an, <laughs> there was about an hour long interview in the very beginning. And that was it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Again, it was just the wild west. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once you start to become a bigger franchise, then it's the responsibility of the franchise or to really protect the brand. You need to do your due diligence in the beginning though. I think you'll kind of take what you can. Um, 
I think the bigger thing at that point is making sure that they're going to be a really good operator if they are going to be an owner operator. Right. Um, so I don't know if within the hour interview, they felt good about me from that perspective, but I think that's the most important thing in the beginning. Cause if you only have 10 locations, you want to make sure that all of them are performing well up to your standards and that they're kind of carrying the brand name in the way that you want. Now, who did you have to interview with? Uh, Brandon Cullen. He is one of the two co-founders. Um, they're both former hockey players, grew up in Canada, kind of did the amateur circuit down here for a little while, um, made it to the professionals for a little bit. And then, um, I think they both figured out that they could probably make more money, um, opening up gyms. So they were actually one of the initial CrossFits that opened in the U S I mean, we're talking oh, wow. 15 years ago. Yeah. Um, so they were one of the original ones. Um, so they opened that up for a while in Charlotte. Um, and then I think kind of wanted to branch off, do something that was different, um, something that was their own. And they opened up their first metabolic location, I believe about 10 years ago. Um, and they probably started franchising, I would say, I think about seven years ago. Gotcha. Gotcha. And, and then that was the gym that you guys were working out at in down in Charlotte. So my fiance started going there before I did. I actually didn't go for quite a while because at the time it was called Fight Gone Mad and they had a big logo of a female with boxing gloves on. So I thought it was like a woman's boxing gym and uh, she had a hard time convincing me to go to this. The branding um, is a little off there. The branding was a little bit off. Since then they've changed. It's become um, a lot more appealing to a broader audience, we'll say. Gotcha. Uh, I mean, did you ever see yourself becoming an entrepreneur or is this something that just kind of happened? Um, in the beginning, coming out of college, I think like a lot of people who at least maybe went to business school, um, just saw myself trying to climb the corporate ladder as quick as possible. And I got in some roles where impressed the right people got a promotion quickly and then got into a few other roles where I just did not mesh well with my director or whoever it may have been. And, get capped out for a little bit longer there. So I guess got frustrated with that because I was always one of those people where in the beginning I'd work however many hours I needed to, to get efficient, the job really good at it. And then kind of expected to get rewarded from that. So, um, wasn't climbing things, I guess, as quickly as I was hoping to, and had been frustrated with some of the people that I was a direct report to. Um, so that's kind of when I guess I had a shift in mindset towards maybe I should just open up my own thing, um, and really be in control of my own destiny. I feel that hundred percent. Cause now you, cause you worked for Lowe's, right. And then Under Armour. Yep. Worked, did banking for a hot second out of college, uh, worked for Lowe's corporate for probably three or four years and then went up to Under Armour in Baltimore for a couple of years. Gotcha. And then you're like, fuck it. Let's go with fitness. Yep. Um, I mean, Under Armour was a cool experience from just a kind of culture perspective. It was this big badass company that was growing pretty quickly. Um, everything they did was kind of bigger than life. Like their um, annual party, the first one I went to, every corporate employees there getting hammered drunk. They've got OAR playing. They've got people doing crazy acrobatic stuff. Like it's just a wild experience to be in, but it's obviously highly geared towards fitness related stuff. So 
Um, that was my first time professionally being around um, an environment that I guess was geared towards fitness. Mm-hmm. Um, so kind of got into it uh, that way. And then um, the gym just, I absolutely loved the workouts that I had gone and done while visiting my fiance uh, when I was up in Baltimore and she was still in Charlotte. So every time I went home, did as many workouts there as I possibly could, um, fell in love with it. And it just kind of seemed like the scary transition to go to. Scary trend, the perfect scary transition, the pull the trigger, (laughs) ride the bullet. I've always been, um, willing to take on risks. So not a super risk averse person. Um, and I've always with any role that I guess I've been in, I've always just taken the promotion and I'll figure out how to do the job later. And I mean, that's kind of what being an entrepreneur is. You take it on and you figure out how to be a jack of all trades. You're probably not phenomenal at any of them, but if you're halfway decent, you can get by. Um, and then as you get a little bit bigger, you hire out the things that you're not great at. But I mean, in the beginning, it is just trying to figure out every different role within the company that you got to kind of play. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, hundred percent. You, you wear every single hat and then slowly, but surely you get to take, start taking the hats off. Yep. And, uh, and then you have to do like, there's like one, there's one chart I use. I think it's from the book traction. Have you read traction? No, no, no. I think there's like, it's like a chart where it's like things I need to do. And I like to do things I like to do, but don't need to do things I don't like to do and don't need to do things I like, I don't like to do until, and like you like divide it up like that. And then like slowly, but surely you get to like pick things out and like, all right, well, this is something I don't want to do. And I don't need to, do. these are gone. And then you can slowly like start pulling things away and uh, it makes your life uh, a little bit easier, which I still haven't gotten to that part yet where the, the easy life is easy. Um, but I mean, if you make it there, let me know. Well, we'll yeah. <laughs> I don't know that I'll ever make it there. I mean, honestly, the part about the gym that I love is going and coaching on the training floor. Um, Finding movement flaws and cueing them is like a big puzzle that I like to do. But Mm -hmm. as I continue to grow the number of gyms and all that stuff, uh, the more that I kind of get separated from that, have to do all the back-end administrative stuff real estate, talking with attorneys, um, taking a ton of meetings, all that kind of stuff. So um, there's definitely, I guess, some drawbacks to growing if what you love is kind of getting into the business and being in the weeds a little bit. Right. Um, So got to kind of fly a little bit higher in the clouds. Um, But yeah, there's some trade-offs with it, with growing. So when you first started, were you the only coach? Uh, no, we had two other coaches, which now Metabolic won't even allow you to open unless you have six coaches. Um, so <laughs> in oh, the wow. beginning I was coaching a ton, probably working 14 hours a day. Um, I mean, I was there for the very first class. I was there till the very last class doing everything that I could in between classes um, and, you know, at that point, every client members uh, matter. So if you have a client that for some reason needs to work out at 6 30 a.m on a saturday because they've got a kid like you take on that one-on-one to keep that client yeah. um so doing kind of everything in the beginning um so yeah we opened with three trainers and i got really lucky one of them had been the lead trainer at a former metabolic location where the owner there was really good phenomenal with movement so 
I got to learn a lot of what I know from her and then watching a thousand other videos, getting certifications, all that kind of stuff. But it was really helpful to have um, one of those trainers on board in particular in the beginning so that I could get myself up to a spot where I felt good about um, movement, cueing and all that kind of stuff. Because you had never done any coaching of any sort beforehand, right? Not really. Um, I had worked at a cycling studio where they needed someone and I had a certification and they had kind of a hybrid class that was strength spin and uh, core. And I helped out there a little bit. Um, they were just in need of someone. And I had a little bit of time to kill before opening up mad. It was kind of in my transition period from under armor to mad. So that was really my only experience. I mean, you get to go down to corporate do their kind of uh, training camp down there, but I always tell a lot of my trainers and it's probably the same thing for physical therapy to know how to cue a squat. You need to see a thousand different squats. So to be able to get in that repetition, um, I had to really get on the floor and coach a bunch of people, but having someone really knowledgeable, again, really expedited my learning curve. Um, so it was helpful to have her, but yeah, before then, uh, before opening Matt, I had not had a ton of experience, um, with coaching. So the, so Metabolic has their, their own coaching certification. Is that right? Uh, I wouldn't necessarily call it a certification because it's not a nationally accredited one, but okay. it is something that you have to go down to and you have to pass it. There's also a test out that you have to pass. Um, but to get on our floor as well, you also have to have a nationally accredited certification. So I remember I got my ACE personal training cert, which looking back, I can't believe that allows you to start coaching people. <laughs> um, yeah, so I had that, but learned a lot down at the corporate location. Um, came back up here, uh, coached a lot myself. And then also in particular, hopped in a bunch of my other coaches classes. It's just interesting to see what they were seeing, what I wasn't seeing, how they cue people, how it was different than IQ people watching a ton of videos, um, just trying to see all that kind of stuff. So it was, it was definitely interesting, um, just to watch all the different styles. I think that's such an important thing. Cause I think when you are in the beginning process of becoming a coach, like you're like, I want to consume all this content. I want to get this certification. I want to read this book, but like getting that experience on the gym floor opened your eyes so much more. And, and I mean, at the end of the day, like this is a relationship business and like even more so than just being able to be like, Hey, like your knees go here, your feet go here, your hips go here. It's, you know, being able to like connect with a client and being like, you know, like what's going on, how are you feeling? And, and then to build those relationships from the ground up. Uh, Cause otherwise, even if you are great at cueing a, a squat, guess what? If they think you're an asshole, it's not going to work. <laughs> 100%. I mean, it's such a balance. Um, I mean, we always say you can cue someone right out the door. If in a class, I give someone 25 cues, like um, just because I'm trying to prove how knowledgeable I am and all that kind of stuff. Um, you can cue them right out the door. It's tough. It can be a little bit deflating for them. So it's giving the right cue whenever you see them make that adjustment, having a, I call it a celebration, but visually showing, showing that you're excited for them to kind of get that win. 
Um, knowing whenever they've kind of checked all the boxes with safety cues on their first day, cool. I'm probably not going to hone in on every minor performance oriented thing. I just want to get you moving safely on day one. And then over the course of the next couple of weeks, month, we progress you from there, but it's highly relationship based to be able to retain that client. Um, and then the other side of it is it's different than one-on-one training. Um, you know, you might have 20 people in a class, so you've got 20 people to watch after. It's not like I can sit there and talk with you for five minutes about how to get some external knee drive so that we don't have knee valgus on the way down for a squat and so forth. Um, I've got a few seconds where I've got to learn to really efficiently cue you. So what combination of visual cues, what short little things can I say to you to kind of get everything corrected as quickly as possible? That's the really really challenging part as well. So balancing kind of all of those aspects, I think is what makes you a really good trainer, but it takes a hot second to learn all that. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, the early stages of when I was coaching, you know, it's like chest up, butt back knees, you know, it's just like you're, you're giving all these cues and people are like turn to these like movement zombies where they like, just don't yep. know exactly like <laughs> where to go. And, and like, especially for people who have never squatted before, they're like, well, what the hell? Like, like, what do I do? And and then it becomes this like overwhelming thing. And I've, I've found like with coaching, like the less you say, the better. 100%. I think if you can like on a kettlebell swing, I used to be so confused with what to tell people whenever they were squatting their swing, but I think finding the root cause of it, which is usually people hinging too early. Um, and then finding a way to really quickly cue that, um, was super helpful. So finding the quick, small little thing to say that, you know, if you tell them quit squatting their swing, well, they probably didn't know they were doing that in the beginning and they probably don't know how to fix that. But if you can find a way to cue them to hinge later, um, it usually helps. So finding that short, quick little thing that solves kind of the root problem um, is really helpful. But in the beginning, it's hard to know exactly what that is or, how to kind of properly relay that to the client. I think even like giving them a few reps to like, let them figure it out. Like, cause our, I mean, our bodies are resilient enough where let us, you know, figure it out instead of like just jumping on that first rep. If the first rep is ugly, like, okay, we well, got my attention. Let's see how reps two, three, four are before you're like, okay, Hey, hold on a second here. Cause I think we have the ability to figure things out on our own more than we give ourselves credit for. Yep, for sure. And I mean, again, for the new trainer that comes in, they might not realize how much it can vary depending on a client's body awareness. And I, a lot of the times will watch clients in our warmup, um, just to kind of see how body aware they might be and see how well they're moving on like an air squat and stuff like that. And, um, there's some clients that I know right off the bat, like I can probably give them a cue or I can let them probably just figure it out on their own and they're going to get there versus there's some other people who I really need to spend some time with. So you just get to the point where you kind of know that a little bit earlier in a client's first class. Um, and that's always super helpful. Yeah. And I think, I think building that relationship from the first, uh, first, first class, I think is, is so important because I think once they actually build that trust in you, that's really when you, you know, things start to really take over and that's when you get that real, the buy-in and you start to see the changes and, and you're able to, you know, create a, a long-term member versus someone who gets scared out the door the first day. Yep. Yep. <laughs> um, now 
like we were saying before with the balance between coaching and obviously, you know, managing a business, how important do you think it is for you to stay involved in the coaching side? Um, so I'm not on the floor really much at all anymore. The biggest reason for that is we're overstaffed right now. So we had so many trainers coming on board, COVID hit classes kind of went all over the place. We tried to take care of our people that were with us from like a full-time fitness perspective. So we're overstaffed. So I've stepped away. However, I think it would be really tough for me to be one of the people who just comes into fitness and pays for a GM. I know nothing about movement or any of that kind of stuff. Um, I would like to think that I'm one of the more knowledgeable people whenever it comes to movement within the metabolic realm. Um, so I know which of my trainers is doing a really good job with cueing people, seeing movement flaws, all that kind of stuff. And I know where I need to start paying attention to who I need to try and get better and stuff like that. Um, so I think that's extremely important for me, um, to know all of my movement stuff. Um, do I think it's super important for me to still be on the floor as a coach a lot? Not necessarily, but I do think that it is very important for me to be within the walls of metabolic watching classes, watches, watching trainers and helping to manage, um, a lot. I'm usually there six or seven days a week. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that makes sense. Cause I think a lot of times you, you know, just maintaining a presence is probably the, the best, you know, the, the yeah. best thing because, I think you see a lot of times, especially like in the franchise model where, you know, you, you open up a bunch of gyms and you get the absentee owner who just kind of is like, all right, this is my investment. Or even, you know, you see here in like CrossFit gyms or regular, you know, you know, other, other gyms here in DC where the owner just is like, all right, I'm going to open up a gym, you run it. And I think yep. it, it creates a disconnect between the top and the bottom that ultimately isn't what's in the best interest of the business. Yeah. Yeah. And I, um, as we continue to grow here, um, obviously if we get up to a bunch more locations, there's only so many places that I can be at one time. Um, well, sure. but I do think that having a really good connection with your GM, still getting in to go and see all the employees, um, is key, but I think having a really good connection with your general manager, um, is extremely important, but if you're never in the gym, you're not seeing how they're running things. Um, you haven't really built that rapport with them. Uh, I think it, it's probably going to be a pretty tough road. I also feel like fitness is like a low hanging fruit in the sense that like, it's easy for you to come in, like just show up and work out. Like you don't need to like go in and like worry about like operation things like that at least like show up and just like work out. Like, like yep. that's not that hard to do. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, go in, make a few playlists while you're sitting in the computer, go work out a little bit. Um, no, I mean, that's, that's my fun time. I love going in on the weekends. I like all of my staff. So I'm usually in there hanging out with them in the lobby. Um, like my trainers love hopping in the class myself. So I do think that's one plus, and it's always wild to me, the people that buy into a program and don't actually do the workout. Um, it's the part of the job that I absolutely love. I've been doing metabolic now for five years. My fiance has been doing it for, I think, nine years. So it is something that we both um, really, really believe in. And it makes the job just a little bit easier. Yeah. I mean, I think number one, you have to believe in the program. 
But number two, yeah, I think, you know, actually taking the time to do it makes, makes a world of difference because then the members see, oh, well, the guy who's the owner is here doing the workout. Like, obviously he believes in it. And, and there's a reason why he's, you know, putting his time, effort and money into this business is because he believes in it. And, and I think that has a big carryover effect. And I also, I think the, like the idea of the owner's charisma, I think that's a, a big thing also that plays into it where, you know, there's a certain energy that I think business owners have, you know, within their business that radiates out to, you know, hopefully their staff, but also their members too. Yeah, I definitely think it does. I mean, there's something to be said about the owner or anyone kind of high up being there doing the workouts. I do think there's kind of an energy in the class. Um, and then I think what you touched on is people getting to see, hey, the owner actually believes it and comes and does that. Well, I think that also really carries over into the staff. It's always kind of funny to me to watch a lot of the other gyms around here where the trainers never actually work out at the gym that they train at which I think speaks volumes about it. Um, mm -hmm. And that's why we actually have it mandated to where trainers have to work out a certain amount with us. Now, I hate being the guy that has to enforce that. So I just find trainers that genuinely want to work out with us. And then I don't have to actually do makes, much there. Makes it easy. Um, but the buy-in to the program, um, it's visible to clients um, and it helps the brand so much. Whenever every trainer is a strong believer in your program, they're doing our recommended four times a week at our program. Um, and at the end of the day, the trainer's body is somewhat the embellishment of, um, or the embodiment of what your kind of end goal is. Um, so I would think that a trainer that's working out a bunch at that place, they've gotten the body, blah, 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 blah um that's kind of what the clients are looking for at the end of the day yeah i, I think i think that makes sense because i think the you know I, I don't think the client uh, i'm sorry i don't think the trainers it has to be the only thing they do but it should definitely be one of yep. the things they do um yeah. because yeah i mean also how, how how can you expect someone to coach that program if they yep. don't know what it's like on the other side of it yep yep if, they, if, if they're just paying if they're just showing up and being like all right you need to do you know, burpees, squats, push-ups, whatever, they won't know how to, they don't know what that feels like. Yeah, no, I know you really do have to do it in a class setting because you've got to know how much that third station is going to suck after doing the other two, like where you can push people a little bit. Am I expecting the squat to be pretty fatigued? Do I need them to drop a weight in a little bit? So um, there's more to it than just showing up and kind of running through the motions if you really want all your clients to kind of get the most out of the program. Right. Now talk to me a little bit more about the program. Cause I know metabolic is not your traditional like hit studio. There, there's more programming that goes into it. Yeah. Um, so Brandon Cullen and Kirk, I should probably know how to pronounce his last name. I think it's DeWall. This um, yes. <laughs> they, uh, they're the two co-founders. Um, and again, they have, they started training a lot of their teammates, actually, whenever they were still in the hockey world, they got into the CrossFit world. So they've been doing strength and conditioning for a long, long, long time and actually doing it at the professional level for their teammates. Um, so they're the ones who actually program all the workouts. They send them all out to us, which is not necessarily uncommon in the franchise world, but having a genuine emphasis on the strength portion is a little bit unique um, with a big national brand. 
Usually it's a little bit more hit oriented. So the weights are a good bit lighter. Um, I wouldn't say they're as big a kind of compound movements. You see a lot of stuff that kind of looks pretty for YouTube at other places, but uh, you know, the big stuff that has worked for a long time, the strength and conditioning world are squats, deadlift presses, kettlebell swings, um, clean snatches, stuff like that. It's the stuff that has been around for a long time. It's really effective. I just think you have to have a highly qualified coach to be able to do it. And that's usually, I think, kind of the barrier for entry, if you will, for some of these other places getting into some moves like that. So we do a lot of the moves that are effective. They work. Um, We also do those a lot throughout the week, the month. Um, so there is a ton of structure. We're only ever doing five stations within a day. We don't have 20 things. So there's a bunch of variety for the sake of variety. Um, you know, the old saying, if you want to get better at squats, you got to do more squats. Um, we're we're pretty firm believers in that. Um, so we do want all of our clients to be able to squat more over time, deadlift more over time. We want them to get better on the rower, uh, better on the skier, all that kind of stuff. And, for those kind of key, um, really effective movements, we do them and we do them really often. If you go look at our program over the course of three weeks, I can't tell you how many times we're going to be squatting, deadlifting, all that kind of stuff. So I think the highly structured programming around big compound lifts makes us a little bit unique um, in comparison to the F45 and Orange Theories and stuff like that. The other thing that I would say separates us apart from a lot of other brands out there, and I think you from the PT uh, world would really like this, is um, we have an entire, like one of our three intervals is pretty much dedicated towards stability-based work. Um, So you're doing waiters carries, farmers carries, parts of the Turkish get-up. So a lot of unilateral movements um, that I would consider to be somewhat preventative type movements um, that hopefully make us more resilient, make sure that our body is functioning in the way that it should. So a focus on our client's longevity um, whenever it comes to their fitness is a big focus for us as well. Um, So the big focus on strength structure and then also focus on kind of doing things that are right for the client and focusing on being a little bit more resilient. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the idea of like longevity, I mean, I think it's funny how like everyone has like different reasons for training. Some it's aesthetics, some it's performance, some it's just, Hey, I want to keep doing these things long-term. And I I think, you know, being able to reach all those people, I think is, is I think super important. Um, Now, would you, do you guys use barbells or is it it, dumbbells and kettlebells? Dumbbells and kettlebells and our kind of idea behind this and, you know, plenty of people could probably poke flaws in this is um, we're getting the general population in um, and we think that we can give them a sufficient workout with kettlebells and dumbbells. Um, And then if you also look at the way that our workout is structured, barbells would be really hard to fit in there um, just with how our uh, kind of workout flows and stuff like that to be right, right. taking off plates, all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, we don't, we don't use barbells. We have kettlebells, dumbbells, med balls, D balls, a bunch of different cardio equipment and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, no, no barbells. 
I like, I like that, you know, you got, you said strength is really the, the main, the main focus. And I think that that's what needs to be honestly, honestly for everyone's program. I think that needs to be the meat, the meat and potatoes for everybody's program. If you want to do a hit class, if you want to do CrossFit, if you want to do, you know, whatever, like, I think that's, that's great. But I view like, you know, cross, I mean, at the end of the day, CrossFit is a sport, you know, it's the, the competitive sport of fitness. And, and, you know, you need to have that element of actual strength training incorporated into your program. So as, as that, as that base to, to build on from, cause from there, then you can do all the other, you know, cool, fun, challenging things, but you need that base of strength before you can start jumping into all the other things. Yeah, definitely. And I think focusing on strength, um, you end up finding out a lot of people's kind of deficiencies. Um, so you watch them squat or try and press or try and hold a weight overhead. And you can tell a lot about maybe where they lack mobility, where they lack stability, um, core strength, all that kind of stuff. So I think that doing strength training actually can help fix a lot of these things. And then as we age again, we naturally lose 10% of our muscle mass every decade or loosely something like that. So it's super important. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, associate cardio with body aesthetics. Um, whereas in reality, I could have you never do like a cardio machine or running and have you do strength all day long, focus on nutrition and have you probably get the body goals that you're looking for. So I think there's unfortunately a lot of misconceptions. Um about fitness, body composition and stuff like that, that hopefully it seems like we're slowly making a dent in those. But um, I think trying to change a lot of people's mentality towards strength will be helpful. And then I think there's also something mentally freeing for a lot of those people that have been in programs where it's just burn calories, burn calories, lose weight, lose weight. And that's the only thing you're focused on versus if all of a sudden I'm focusing on strength now, more performance oriented, I've gotten my mind off being as rail thin as possible. Um, and I'm able to focus on some of those performance oriented goals. And, um, again, it's mentally freeing if you want to use that term. Yeah. I a hundred percent. I've had discussions on the podcast about this before. It's like being able to take your mind off of like the aesthetic part of it or the scale or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And just being like, Hey, like, can I squat 50 pounds? You know, can, can I, can yeah. I do a lunge, you know, can I do a single leg squat, whatever, you know, whatever it might be. And it changes things so that you're, you're just not focused. Cause the, cause if you focus on the other things, that aesthetic part will take care of itself. Yep. 100%. Um, it's hard to convince clients that that's true because they've been hearing certain things, all these marketing things for so long, but oh, so many false narratives out there. I think we could do a whole episode on, on, uh, on, on false narratives out there in the fitness and health industry. So. Uh, yeah. And I mean, clients just need to remember there's a lot of money to be made in the fitness industry. So there's a lot of snake oil being sold out there. But I mean, I would say go to most strength oriented places, read the reviews on their Google reviews, Yelp reviews. And most people will go and say, and they say this about metabolic, that they see better results through us, not only from a body composition, but performance perspective as well than they've ever seen before. And then the other great thing about strength training is you don't necessarily have to plateau. Whereas if the only thing that you're doing is a ton of cardio, once you've reached that kind of caloric balance of here's how much you're expending, eating, you plateau and you're done. Um, yeah. You need to be focusing on strength, progressive overload, getting better and better. 
um, and you don't hit those plateaus. So, uh, yeah, it's tough. I wish this knowledge could be available and everyone would consume it and we could change the fitness industry, but um, I don't know that we're going to get to everyone today. Now, what do you say to the new person who has never lifted before, intimidated by weights, they hear you this talk about strength training and, and they're like, well, I, I, I can't lift more than 10 pounds. You know, what, what do you say to that person versus, you know, cause you know, they could easily jump into an arms theory class or, 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 you know, or something like that, where maybe strength isn't the focus and they're like, well, I'll just do a little bit of weights. Yeah. Um, it's tough. I've got to get them in the door first. That's the hardest part. If I can get them in the door, I feel like I've gotten my elevator pitch um, pretty honed in. And, it, you know, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the beginning is we give everyone the same speech. But I love to hear kind of where their background is. Have they been doing orange theory? Have they been doing yoga? Um, what? How do they feel about the results they've seen so far? Um, there's a ton of different stuff that goes into it. And then... Um, trying to, I guess, listen to their apprehensions and then why they think strength training might not kind of deliver or why they might not be able to do it. But the really, I guess, the person who's afraid of strength training just because they have never done it and they're afraid to do it is with us. Everything we do is based off time. Nothing is for reps. So I can pretty much bring anyone in my doors. And if we're doing squats for 40 seconds, I can give you a 10 pound dumbbell that we're going to hold in a goblet position. And if you can only do two squats, that's fine. Um, so it's highly scalable um, from that perspective for anyone that wants to come in. So we have a huge range of weights. If we had goblet squats out for one day, it might be 10 pounds all the way up to 75 pounds. Um, so huge range. And then again, we're working for time. So we're not asking you to necessarily do 30 reps. Um, it's just kind of work at your own pace where you feel comfortable um, and where you're able to perfect your form most importantly. Um, as people get more acclimated to strength training, they're not getting as many cues anymore. Um, they feel good. They feel confident. We can obviously progress them up into weight. So if you've never done strength training before, you're totally fine. There's nothing to be worried about um, with coming into us. Again, it's a highly scalable program to where we can basically take almost anyone off the street, come in, and they'll be totally fine for their first class. And I would actually say metabolic is going to get harder the better you get. Because um, if you can lift heavier and heavier, all of a sudden your heart rate is going to spike more and more during those strength-oriented movements. Um, versus in the beginning, it might be cardio is your big driver of heart rate elevation. So as you get better, as you lift more, um, your heart rate is going to stay a little bit higher throughout kind of all movements. Now, do you think that the, that metabolic is for everybody, or do you think there's a certain per type of person that mad metabolic is for? We're for 95% of your population, probably 20 up through 55. I cap it at 55, but that's not necessarily accurate. If you have really been taking care of your body and you're a 60 year old who doesn't have a ton of mobility issues, sure, no problem. Come on in, you're good to go. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just like with anything, um, there are certain people who, might not be right for metabolic. Um, uh, so it just kind of depends. I would really say it's basically, can you functionally, can you squat? 
can you hinge over enough to do a deadlift? As long as you have the mobility to do these things, um, I think you're totally fine. And, you know, we have plenty of people who come in and they don't have the core strength initially, or they just don't have the muscle awareness um, to be able to squat a full range of motion, but they get relatively close. And over time I can work with them and get them down to a full range of motion. So as long as you're not totally lacking the mobility to do some of these things, you're good to come in. So that's why I say fine for 95% of the people, but you know, if you had a debilitating knee injury and you can't bend it more than 10 degrees for some weird reason, we might not be the program for you. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I think I think that's the I, I know, you know, at Big League, like, we're not for everybody. Like, like, we're definitely, you know, not for everybody. Like, if, if you are someone who doesn't have a goal, if you're someone who's not looking to get better, if you're someone, you know, who, you know, it's just like my shoulder hurts. All right, well, do you, what do you want to get back to? Well, I just want to stop hurting. Well, okay. <laughs> you're probably not the right person for Big League. You know, yep. if someone's like, hey, I want to get back to metabolic, I want to get back to playing baseball, I want to get back to, you know, whatever it is then we're, then we're talking, but it's the person who's like, Oh, you know, I just want to, I just want to, you know, have my shoulders stop hurting. Probably, probably not going to work. Yeah. And I mean, I guess there's a differentiation between who can come in and do our workouts and who I think we're geared towards. Um, the metabolic went through this marketing thing where we basically looked at who is our consumer segment that we do the best with. And Mm -hmm. it's a consumer segment called high performers. Now that's not necessarily high performers and only fitness. It is a person who is a high performer in kind of their overall life. Um, whether it's professionally, all that kind of stuff, they're a goal, any goal oriented person, self-driven. Um, and whenever it comes to our program, that kind of is what we do there. You're self-driven and that you don't have a coach cheerleading you on from the sideline on a microphone. Um, you're kind of there working out in a group setting, but it is up to you how much you want to push within kind of each interval. And then us being kind of goal oriented with, um, our tiers on our cardio machines, our different weights and us genuinely wanting to progress you up versus some other places where it's just come in, go through a bunch of unweighted movements. You're just there kind of for the calorie burn going through the motions. There is a differentiator there for us. So, um, yeah, I would say that we're definitely for the kind of goal oriented self-driven person. I like the, the high performer. I like, I like that. Like the looking at trying to identify not just high performers, like in the fitness world, but like, the whole world so I, yeah, I, I, exactly i like that uh, all right so we are uh, getting down towards the end here uh got a few more questions for you oh. now uh what's the uh what's the last book you read oh i hate reading i'm dyslexic <laughs> um i so i studied economics in college and like reading some books around that um I'm trying to think of are you an name. audio are you an audiobook guy? Yep, audiobook guy in the car. Um yeah, I mean I, I genuinely hate reading. <laughs> All right, audiobook counts. Audiobooks count too. Yep. Um so I believe his name is Michael Lewis. He writes a yeah. he did the big short and a few others. So yep. he had another one. Yep. So he had one that was about um 
high frequency trading anyways i can't remember the name of it but anyways i love economics love some of those like larger than life stories with stuff like that it's just crazy to me that these events happen so um but actually i can tell you the last book i read it was for uh my cscs that is it <laughs> the essentials of strength training and conditioning exactly all 800 pages of it there you go yes that's that's exactly what i did for my cscs yeah yep. It was, it's, it's funny that book, it comes out like third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition. It's the same damn book every year. It is. They just update the research they keep quoting. Um, yeah, that was, uh, that was one of the harder tests that I think I've taken. That was challenging. Did you, but, but you passed it. Yep. So there you go. What's, yeah. uh, what, what are you watching on TV these days? Uh, watch a bunch of shark tank, um, watch billions on showtime. Oh, billions is great. Love Billions. Uh, Yellowstone is another one that we've recently gotten into. Um, yeah, those are kind of the big ones, but TV is usually reserved for like 30 minutes before going to bed for me. Sounds about right. So now you're an economics guy. What are your thoughts on Dogecoin? On Dogecoin? I don't even know what that is. You don't even know Dogecoin? <laughs> cryptocurrency? Nope. Are, you, are you into uh, cryptocurrency at all? Not really. Um, so I was much more into economics, graduating college, in banking okay. a little bit. Since then, uh, everything's so shifted towards metabolic uh, solely that I don't follow um, the stock market nearly as closely as I used to and all that kind of stuff. I mean, cryptocurrency is definitely interesting. I mean, to me, it's almost like the price of another commodity out there. Um, it's just so much volatility in it that... Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know that I'd be investing a ton of my money in it. I think a little bit, but, uh, a ton of it, I'd, I'd be uh, scared to do that. This is not financial advice. No, put that, just not. put that disclaimer in there. This is not financial yeah. advice. Um, all right. So now you've lived in the DC area now for how many years? Uh, going on probably six years. Okay. And what's one thing you would What's one experience that you think everyone in the DMV area should have? And you can't say go to a metabolic class. That's number two. Um, number one, I think going and experiencing all the amazing food that DC has to offer. Um, I mean, we were ranked number one food city in the U.S. a year ago. Um, uh, all the small, cool restaurants that we have is something that I would definitely recommend. Um, top three places for me off the top of my oh, head. Here we go. Uh, you knew I was going to ask this. <laughs> uh, Albie is a new one in Navy Yard. Oh yeah. Right um, over here in Navy Yard. Winery. Mm -hmm. So uh, that is quickly one of my favorite new places that has popped up. Absolutely love it. Um, another one is Tail Up Goat up in Admo. Um, really, really good. And then Rose's luxury, I think just cause my sister worked there has always kind of had a special spot in my heart. Uh, food there's phenomenal, but also it's just the experience, wait staff, everything there is really good. So those would be my top three places that I've been I like to. it. I like, it. I've only been to, Ro out of those three, I've only been to Rose's and Rose's is great. I saw yeah. something yesterday where they're going to start like doing these like $95 per person meals. And like, I saw something with like a uh, like brisket and cheese sandwich and like Capri suns. And I was like, this doesn't make any sense, but <laughs> I'm sure it's delicious. They've always been great with like 
we've gone there quite a few times on like new years and stuff like that. And they give you like goodie bags to go with like ramen noodles, ibuprofen and other stuff for a hangover. So it's the funny little things like that, that I think differentiate them a little bit. Yeah. 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 What's your, uh, what's your favorite burger? Oof. Um, the question I've been asking people. That's a tough one. Um, Probably so. Duke's Grocery in DC has always been a good one. Um, Shake Shack for just a kind of naughty burger, if you will. (laughs) Such a such a franchise guy. Yep. Um, uh, Lucky Buns is one that I haven't been to, but everyone's talking it up. Um, How about you? What's your favorite burger? Salt Line. I I I feel like I I give Salt Line free press every episode here and they still (laughs) refuse to acknowledge me. The the Salt Line without a doubt is my favorite burger. I I mean, I love the Salt Line is my favorite. It's my favorite restaurant in DC, but the burger is without a doubt killer. It's a smash burger. Um, Fantastic. Highly recommend it. If you've not been to Salt Line, it's a a secret restaurant. Yeah, I've been to Salt Line. I haven't had their burger though get the burger. You won't regret it. Anyone who's, who's listening, who hasn't listened yet, know how much I love the salt line. (laughs) I will have to check it out. (laughs) Uh, All right, Corbin, we are out of time. Uh, If people want to connect with you, take a class at Metabolic, how can they find you? How can they find Mad? Uh, uh, Instagram handle is at Mad underscore DMB. Um, send us a DM. If you want to, you can email Arlington at metabolic.com or H street at metabolic.com. Um, and if you want to try out our, um, our program, you can come and do it. It's 10 consecutive days for $10 is our new client special. Um, if you go onto the app store and download the metabolic app, that'll be the easiest way to buy that and start scheduling classes. Beautiful. And do you want to give your, your Instagram handle as well? Or uh, I can't even remember mine. I'm not very active on there. I think it is Corbin's gone mad. Corbin's gone mad. Yes, he certainly yep. has. That, that is it. Yes, <laughs> he certainly has. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Corbin, thanks for coming on, man. And uh, we'll definitely be talking soon. All right, Mike, I appreciate it. Good luck. Thank you so much for listening to Move the District today. If you want to find out more about our guests or about Big League Performance and Rehab and how we can help you continue to be active and pain-free, head over to bigleagueperformanceandrehab.com to learn more. Thanks, and until next time, keep moving, DC.